Hi, everybody, and welcome to the European VC Podcast. I am David, also known as the LP Syndicate Lead, and as usual, joined by my dear co-founder, Andreas the Hype Man. Today, we have Omar Hassan with us. Omar is a general partner at Mina Tech Fund, a 25 million USD pre-seed seed stage venture fund in Dubai, backing Middle Eastern and North African agritech, fintech, and B2B SaaS businesses in Egypt, Israel, UAE, Saudi Arabia, or UK tech with market fit into the MENA region. MTF are investing out of fund one with a total of 25 million USD AUM and an established portfolio of nine companies, including Suze, Lenke, Vilt, Selectica. At MTF, Omar focuses on SaaS and agritech in MENA and has led investments into World Swiftbox, Selectica, and Lenke. If you're listening in and love our show, drop us a review, follow the pod, and subscribe at eu.vc. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This is a union of values. Values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem requires. A European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings. New, new beginnings. Let's start acting. Acting, 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 acting. This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. So, Omar, you are our very good friend that has given us the opportunity to be part of the team organizing the delegation of European VCs going to Dubai for the North Star Conference. That's very exciting. But before we get into all of this, let's just say that this interview is going to be 100% dedicated to talking about how to raise in the region. And that is, of course, exactly what most people that we have been talking to have have said. "Hmm, How can I do that? How does it actually work? And Omar, thanks a million for joining us in for this conversation. Guys, I'm so excited and thank you so much. It is a question that's probably been asked like you said, a million times over the years, and we'll dive it. We'll dive into it. But I, I tell you what, since we started to do these trips five years ago, um, it's always been one of our focus to get more European VCs into the region, seeing some more great investors to co-invest alongside within the region. But you're right; it is always the question of how do I raise? Can I raise? Where from? So, really excited to get into this today. I couldn't agree more, and I think you know you you nailed it on its head, and that's why we're we're interested in 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 collaborating and being part of this as well. But just before we dive deep into this, if anyone is listening in and think this sounds cool, feel free to reach out and express your interest in joining. We'll see if we can get you a spot and come with us. Maybe actually, Omar, you could say a few words about what we've got in store because you've done a few of these trips by now, right? Yeah, I think we're in our fifth or sixth one now, fifth or sixth year in a row. It's going to be amazing. Look, the, the conference has evolved so much over the years. I remember actually the first time we um, we invited European VCs to come, we could only manage to take 10. Now this year we're aiming about 400. And also what was really interesting, the first group that we took were purely going there to understand how do I find ways from here? Whereas now... We've seen actually co-investment happen. We've seen capital being raised. We've seen European VCs look up to set, set up in the region. It's going to be an amazing four days and over 3,000 startups, about 250 speakers, 800 funds, uh, and most importantly, a lot of fun, a lot of fun uh, and yeah. a lot of things to see and do in Dubai. 
That is incredibly cool. And it's so cool to see how it grew from 10 to 400 <laughs> VCs. That, that, that is amazing. Uh, we'll, we'll talk much more about that, but I think it's just about time that we dedicated some of this episode to getting to know you. So many of our listeners might not know you yet, Omar. So just tell us, who are you? How did you get into venture? What got you landed in Dubai with that beautifully sounding UK accent and setting up MTF? How did I get into venture? Um, it was a bit of a mistake, but at the same time, kind of a natural progression to what we were doing. I, I was always kind of involved with startups from, you know, probably my early days, had a couple of successes, a lot of failures. Um, around 2008, 2009, I started to mentor um, in the UK through an initiative called the Startup Loans Initiative, which was set up by the government to support early stage startups and SMEs. Um, and then I started to write small checks, very, very small checks. Um, so it was always kind of something that I was interested in, but it wasn't until maybe 2015 when we launched Global Growth Hub, which is kind of Global Growth Hub is this economic development consultancy that's focused on tech and innovation um, and focused between Europe and the Middle East. Um, we were seeing around 2012 that the region was changing a lot. Um, it was no longer kind of, and it, this will be kind of, we'll touch on this later on because it was, it was very acceptable back then in 2012 for you as a young person to go to your kind of father or mother or whoever it may be and say, I, I want $250,000, but I'm going to buy a sports car with it. But you can't say, you can't, but you can't say I want $250,000 to put into a startup. It was very normal for you to say, um, you know, I'm going to work for the big four but it was not acceptable for you to say I'm going to launch a business. But then that started to change around 2012, 2013 um, in Egypt, in the UAE, in Saudi. Um, so we saw early on that actually there was a need to better connect Europe and the Middle East, support with, whether it be from venture capital or programs or uh, market access. So that's where Global Growth Hub was born. So we focus on three areas, venture capital, working with European funds to show them the region, but then also work with portfolio companies to grow. Um, we focus with the second piece of market access, working with companies to scale to the region. And the third piece is a lot of advisory work from government. And as part of that, really, over the years, so we, we deliver programs on behalf of the World Bank, European Investment Bank, and private sector. And we've seen a lot of startups, a lot of great ideas, but we didn't have the capital to invest ourselves. And that's where the MTF came about two years ago. So you know what? Let, let's, let's bite the bullet. Uh, let's start investing um, and let's see if we can kind of create, you know, a successful fund that bridges mainly the UK and the Middle East. Um, and here we are. Um, it's, it's been a journey, but it's, it's, it's been a fun journey. Um, I'll let you know in a few years if it's been a successful one or not. <laughs> we will be here asking and curious about it for sure. Omar, let me ask you, uh, and, and regarding MTF, just could you paint a bit of a clear picture? Um, what's the team like? Where are you guys based? Um, just some of the details there. Yeah, so MTF, um, we're HQ in London. Um, I'm based in Dubai. And to go back to your point, actually, um, the the Dubai reason is i think once you, you know i'm egyptian by birth so north african or african and at some point you need to get back to some vitamin d uh, and that's partly why we're in dubai um but but it's uh, the fund we're hq in london and we are investing across the middle east uh, and when we say the middle east we focus on egypt uae saudi arabia and israel and a lot of people will be saying 
Israel as well. I said yes, and it's always been our it's always been our thesis to have a fund that's pan regional. Does that make sense? Um, and also look at the innovation and the tech that comes out of Israel and how that can be taken into the wider region, especially within agriculture. Um, and the second part of the fund is we focus on UK tech that has a market opportunity to grow to the Middle East. Um, so especially in fintech, uh, which is a real kind of area for growth for UK companies and secret startups. Uh, the team is based across London, uh, Dubai and Tel Aviv. Um, we're a small team, four of us, uh, four and a half. Could I ask you a question just right off the bat here, uh, diving into what's probably one of the questions that are a bit tough to answer on a public podcast like this one. You said you also do Israel and everyone knows that we just got a deal uh, about a year ago or so between, you know, uh, what you might say is, is, is the leading region in, in the Gulf states and then Israel. And we're now seeing them collaborate more. Have you ever received that political not pressure, but 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 counter-positioning towards your fund? Sometimes. I, I look, I think with us, look, we're not, like with any other VC, we're about making money, right? So it's not for us. When we look when we look at the region, our thesis was devised around, look, Israel's always been a, you know, startup nation, you know, creating tech that goes global from day one. And in fact, actually, the Israeli chutzpah, as you call it, as they call it, it's, if it's not going to put the Israeli flag on the, on the world map, what's the point? The rest of the region was still in its early days. Look, it's a 455 million people marketplace. There's a lot of great talent, but the innovation was still very local, very regional. Um, so what we wanted to do was look, how do we tap into the Israeli tech to balance our portfolio while tapping into regional tech that might not achieve us, you know, the four, five, six X that we'd want to return the fund. In terms of political, look, there's always been collaboration. It's just now it's open. Um, I think, you know, we've had some pushback from the VCs that, you know, historically can't invest in Israel or co-invest in Israeli companies. And that's fine. We, we earmark our Israeli investments to the side. But look, it's, I, we believe that soon we will go from startup nation to startup region. And I think Israeli tech plays a big part in that, equally as much as regional tech across Egypt, UAE and Saudi. Is that politically correct enough, Lorna? No. <laughs> well, I, I, I asked the question exactly because, you know, there, there are so many, and that's definitely going to be one of the things that we're going to talk about in this as well. There's so many people that have preconceived notions, and some will prove to be right, and I think that some will have their some notions confirmed throughout this conversation, and some will see them dispelled. And I think that what you just said there may have dispelled some views for some people that that it is actually possible to be beyond the pioneering mission of saying, well, we should be a tech region, not a tech nation. Um, so that's why I asked the question. I, and I think that that's exactly what we should be doing in this conversation, diving into the, the important questions that you may, may not be able to, to read in the most public magazines. We believe that at some stage we will invest in companies that are co-founded between, you know, the Israeli kind of, deep tech mindset, but also the consumer-facing mindset of Egyptian entrepreneurs or MENA entrepreneurs. And our latest investment was actually into a, a company of three founders, uh, one Israeli, two Egyptians, met at MIT and co-founded the company together. So we've got the deep tech in Tel Aviv with a good consumer face and stuff in Cairo. Um, so we already see this thesis come to life. Uh, and, you know, I think that investment 
with the founders' mentality and what they're doing. I think it could be an amazing one. Sounds like we should have a mini, Mina, Mina Tech uh, focused podcast purely. Uh, it sounds like about the time to connect the ecosystems. <laughs> and on that note, for, for the uh, attentive and interested listener, we did a, a, a mini short series already, so do, do check that out. We have a few, I think it's four episodes or so more focused on Mina. Omar, I think the great place to start here is to ask you to give us kind of an overview of the GCC fundraising landscape. And I think I can safely say that many of our listeners might not even be sure exactly what the GCC is, uh, but it's it's basically the Gulf Cooperation Council that brings together um, six Arab countries, if I if I remember correctly. But Omar, give us a quick rundown of of what what should investors that are fundraising uh, know about the GCC landscape. You're right. Um, it is the Gulf Corporation Council, but I think it's five, it's five countries. So you have Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, UAE, and Bahrain. Is Kuwait in the list or not? I always forget. Kuwait is in the list. So that is six then. Is it six? This ah, sounds this one. We're going to have to edit this bit out. It's six. <laughs> um, that's, that's me prepping. <laughs> Many people will, when they think GCC, will probably straight away spring to their minds the UAE, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. Um, it's normally in the news, and you hear about them a lot, whether it be from most recently the World Cup or Vision 2030, or the UAE is a holiday destination. Uh, obviously, all very big sovereign funds, um, all very young countries. Um, and I think it's been mentioned a few times, but honestly, with the exception of Saudi Arabia, goes back hundreds of years in history. Um, the rest are probably, you know, if you look at the UAE, it's 50 years old, but I would say consider it as 20 years old because it's really a lot of the stuff you're seeing at the moment is, is in the last 20 years. So they are a startup in their own right. So yeah, there's that's the GCC. But then it's very important to, to kind of take another step back and look at the North African region because you, what you have is the other spe Arab-speaking nations. And I think we've touched on this previously. You've got Egypt, Lebanon, Jordan, you know, Morocco, Algeria, Tunis, the Palestine, Iraq, which is kind of Middle East. And those are nations that are very closely affiliated to the Gulf states. Um, and typically, if you're looking at it from a, a, a VC perspective, typically a lot of, you know, up until maybe five years ago, if you're looking at any deals or any early stage investment, you wouldn't be looking in the GCC. You'd be looking in Egypt, Jordan, Lebanon, etc. That's typically where entrepreneurs will start off from, launch a business, validate, start to scale slowly, and then land at somewhere like the UAE, Saudi Arabia, or Qatar to then access that follow-on funding uh, and look at the region beyond. Um, Sector-wise, look, I, everything. Um, you know, I think if you look at somewhere like the UAE at the moment, it's COP28 in November. It is a lot of focus on sustainability, on energy. Again, it's same in Saudi Arabia, but fintech has always been booming and it still has a lot more room to go. Um, healthcare is a massive, massive area to look at. And obviously, you throw AI on top, on top of everything. Uh, and interestingly, the UAE has, I think, the only AI minister in the world, federal minister focused on AI, how AI can be utilized. is uh, a great guy. He's young, you know, very clued on. He's doing a lot in that space. Uh, so, yeah, I think that gives you kind of a, a few starting points. 
Yeah. Can I can I ask you a question as a f- like this is truly an outsider's question, <laughs> and it might just be a proof of my ignorance. But you know, if if you look at GCC countries, Mina and Yarrow speaking countries, and if if you know, literally, if I, I literally pulled up a map, right? Because <laughs> I don't know, I don't know this view of the world by heart. So I needed to pull up a map, map, and then you talk about Jordan and Lebanon, like and Egypt as well, of course. But the scale of these countries, they're really, really small countries, right? But you did say that 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 is where you would go for deal flow, and I'm really curious to understand, right? Because if 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 I if I go to the list of like Arab speaking countries, uh, that also includes uh, like much bigger countries like Libya, Algeria. Even even Morocco is is in like sheer dimension much bigger than Lebanon, right? Um, and and I just love to understand a bit more the geo of, of of why is it like that and why is it that these ecosystems are at different levels of maturity? Where does that come from? Ooh, I, I think the simple answer would be, again, uh, without getting myself into any any issues, uh, is leadership. <laughs> Honestly, it's leadership. Look, I, I'm I'm an Egyptian. I am a proud Egyptian even though I'd grown up outside of Egypt all my life. Um, so if you look at somewhere like Egypt, it's 100 and officially, I think, 110, 120 million people. Then you look at the Gulf states, the UAE is 9 million. Out of that 9 million, 8 million are uh, expats, immigrants, whichever way you want to call it, and a million uh, or 900,000 locals. Saudi Arabia is about 30 million, and Qatar is maybe 3 million. Uh, Oman's the same, quite the same. Uh, based the leadership, so the, the GCC is kind of really seen as the anchor of the Arab nations. Uh, the leadership have created prosperity, a lot of investments, and so on. But actually, the need to innovate and the need to look at different ways to, to you know, it's in places like Egypt and Jordan and Lebanon whether it be from banking, whether it be from healthcare, it's where the populations are, it's where the need to for innovation in really is. Then, you know, the entrepreneurs, you know, when you look at somewhere like Egypt, I think someone like Cairo, you know, or some, I think the annual number is four, maybe six, 700,000 engineers graduate in Cairo every year. Um, so wow. historically, it's, yeah, it's a, it, it's, it's a region as a whole, it's very highly educated. It's, it's you know, if you wanted to uh, get married, if you wanted to get married a long time ago, you'd have to say to your father or the bride, I'm an engineer or I'm an accountant or I work in the big four. Whereas now it's quite fashionable to say, actually, I'm a startup and I've just raised five million uncle and, you know, things are looking good for me at the moment. So the need is in, to innovate in those countries, but the leadership was in, is not there. So what you'd find then after that for policy, for stability, entrepreneurs need and going to the Gulf states where they'll be given the kind of the canvas to flourish. I think it's worthwhile saying to the audience here that, and Omar, correct me if I'm wrong, right? But there is, this, there is quite some strength in one going through the region, having done the homework so that the things that you talk about here is something that's not foreign to you. Am I right in saying that that's a good place to start? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's it's always nice to understand where you're going, right? Uh, it's always nice to show that you've done some sort of research, um, you know, and especially somewhere like the Gulf, where it's very natural for somebody to be getting on the plane to go to Egypt and have done a lot of research about the history of Egypt, right? You've seen it, you hear, you know, the pyramids, Gaza, Giza, all that sort of stuff. But for a lot of people going into the Gulf, they don't think, actually, let me, you know, the, the Gulf does have history. It's, uh, it's a massive trading hub going back years. Uh, 
you know, it's been going through transformation in the last 20, 25 years. So yeah, you know, spend a few moments, read about it. It's all there. It's all online um, and you'll be surprised. And now let's get into the fundraising part very specifically. Could you tell us what would you say are the key differences between fundraising in the GCC compared to Europe, where most of our audiences are, are used to, 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 to raising from? I think time is a major factor. We have LPs in Europe that we, we knew within an hour that, yeah, they're going to be part of this fund. You know, they're going to be part of it. Uh, we have LPs in the region where six, seven months later, we didn't know. Um, so time is a big factor. It's, a, it's you know, and I think you, you've got to have that from day one, understand that it does take time. The pool of LPs, again, depending on, depending on the fund, depending on who you are, you could be very limited to that pool. Um, so, you know, if you're looking at kind of funds of funds, for example, and the sovereigns, look, the sovereigns, are, unless you're a tier one fund, it's, I don't think you'll, you would raise from. The competition is, is so high. The, you know, they, they know what they're going after. It tends to be tier one US or European funds. If you go back a step or two from that, yeah, you look at somewhere like uh, Dubai, Dubai Future District Fund. Yes, that's a great starting point um, to get an understanding of what they were looking for and what they're investing. But again, you're talking kind of a few months of relationship building before you get to kind of the next stage of the due diligence. Somebody said a while back, not somebody, a guy called Mohammed al is probably one of the most successful business people in the UAE. And this is really true if you started to deal with the families in the UAE. And he said something along the lines of, before we do business together, come and have dinner with me at my mother's house and I'll do the same at your mother's house. And I'm not saying literally that's what you've got to do, <laughs> but it gives you the idea of the mentality of the families. These are very traditional families. They're, they're evolving a lot at the moment and they're, you know, they're changing. The, the leadership within the family is changing. Younger generations coming in. But it's still got some way to go. So understand that once you start to dealing with the families, and there is a lot of them, uh, which is a positive, which is a great thing. Again, it's time. But in terms of sophistication, in terms of due diligence, in terms of what they're looking for, I don't think there's much difference anymore between Europe and the GCC, whether it be the funds of funds, whether it be the families. These teams are very well set up. So if you put the time piece, time element aside, they know what they want. They know what they're looking for. They fully understand VC now. Uh, five, six, seven years ago, it wasn't the case. It was still going back to that example of putting the money in real estate or putting it onto something that you can see, feel, and touch. Uh, whereas now, they understand VC and they know the value is just picking the right one now, I guess. You mentioned Dubai Future District Fund just before. We actually have done an episode, uh, our 114th one in our MENA special series with Sharif, who runs that fund. So, so if you want to dive into that and understand a bit more how they think about their investment activities and so on, go and listen to our episode number 114. I would love to ask you, Omar, just one more question on this topic, which is, could you tell me what are the specific sectors, if there are any, that are particularly attractive to the LPs that are operating in GCC now? Look, I mean, I guess this goes back to who you're speaking to. But I would say there's a couple of things on this one. A, in terms of the funds of funds, if you're going to someone like Dubai Future District Foundation, there's a massive appetite now for specialist VCs. So, you know, not sector agnostic one, but actually 
you know, health is a massive area. So, you know, if you're, if it's a fund you're specializing on health tech, that's, that's the one. If it's, um, uh, sustainability or energy, that's a massive cost area. So, you know, a specialist funds is where the appetite is from a LP perspective. Look, if you go to Abu Dhabi, understand that actually a lot of it is around health and a lot of it is around energy. So if that's you, that's what you're doing. I would definitely head to Abu Dhabi and, and, and speak to the likes of Mobadala, ADQ, and a few others there, even the families. That's where they've, a lot of their family businesses are in. That's where a lot of their investments are in. Dubai tends to be a bit more open, but again, again, it depends on the family. But if you went to somebody like, for example, Muhammad Alibar, I, you know, you've been looking at uh, commerce, you've been looking at construction tech. That's So again, tailor it to who you're speaking to. Would, would be my with my advice. I would stay away from fintech now if I was you. And why is that, Omar? There's plenty. I mean, look, I think it's the other part of it as well. I think the region where we go back five years, it, it's kind of it was about getting startups going, right? Getting the ecosystem going. I, I think now it's really the time about looking at what does the next 10, 15, 20 years look like, not just for the GCC, but the wider region and the world. And I think that's where, you know, almost looking at, I, I think we've done the consumer facing stuff now. I think there's a lot of that. Um, there's a lot of fintech. There's a lot of banking going on. I think now is going back to those points, education, healthcare, how to make education more accessible to the masses, but also using the, the UAE as a platform to ask for board. There's a massive need and market around that. And, and health and, and, and energy is where I think a lot of the focus will be over the next two years or so. So we featured your thinking or, 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 or many of the things that we're talking about here also uh, on our newsletter. And you did a bit in uh, one of our most recent recent ones that I, I really enjoyed because you had a phrase in there where you said that the easy money thinking about the region, that boat has sailed. Um, I'd love to ask you to just expand a bit more on that view and and and, and take us through your, your, your overview thinking there. Because then we can dive even further into building relationships and trust with, uh, with limited partners in the region. Three years ago, um, it was Jitex week, and I was in a car with a couple of uh, investors that had come over from Europe. And one of them in particular, I'm not going to name names, but he'd never been to the region and never been to the Gulf anyway, but never been to the wider region. I was driving through Dubai and he said to me, I was expecting to see camels on the side of the road. Um, <laughs> and that's... And <laughs> Uh, and I'm not, I'm not joking. And, it, and it, the, the funniest thing about it is probably one of the most successful European funds. Uh, <laughs> and, and I thought to, my, I thought to myself, I myself, holy crap, hey, how is somebody trusting you with their money? And B, what have you, you know, what are you, what are you watching? Um, and that goes the same with the kind of the uh, assumption that everybody in the Gulf has an oil pipe in their back garden and, you know, the money's there, the oil is pumped, the oil is being pumped out. Um, that's not the case, look. So, that, you know, there's that misconception. But also, the times have changed. Again, I'm, you know, I think anybody who's been to Dubai probably six, seven years ago and comes now, you will feel that change on the ground. You know, there's been a lot of mistakes made over the years and, you know, nobody's denying now, nobody's saying there hasn't. There's been a lot of checks that have been written. There's been a lot of deals that I've done have not given back a return or have not materialized on anything of value on the ground. People have learned, and the simple thing is people have learned from writing those checks or doing those deals. 
the maturity of the LPs has changed. You know, like I said, these these families and funds, you know, you look at whether the likes of Dubai Feature District Fund headed by Sharif. You know, Sharif has, has been around the block. He's spent a lot of time in San Francisco. He's founded businesses. He's you know, one of his most successful funds, early stage funds in the region. So the, the, the leaders and the leadership within these organizations have changed. But also, they've seen a lot of funds come over saying, you know, we can deliver this amazing return. We've got this amazing access to, to pipeline, et cetera, et cetera, uh, that hasn't materialized. And, you know, and I think they've also seen a lot of people that have come taking the money and have not returned. And that's a massive factor. And that's why I say, you know, if you're looking to fundraise, it's the other way around. It's spending the time on the ground and doing that work and be seen rather than come and ask and go. It's what's a massive flip at the moment that shocks a lot of people. Mark, you, you shared um, or you paraphrased <laughs> a cool quote by Mohamed Alabar before we do business, come have dinner with, my, with me and my mother and I'll do the same, which I think goes a long way to explain like the, um, the mindset and the way, the way relationships are, are built. So unless you have anything to add there, let me ask you a slightly different question, which is what do you see uh, LPs in the region kind of looking for in terms of the relationships they have with their portfolio? GPs, so the GPs they have invested. So is it is it a pure kind of uh, it's it's a money it's a money thing like it's returns, it's diversification, it's a it's a financial argument thing, or actually is this this approach of of having dinner with my mother and me having dinner with yours, uh, you and your and yours, um, does it also go beyond the investment decision and into what these these individuals and families expect to get out of these relationships in the long term? And by the way, if you get to have that dinner, have it. It'll be an amazing dinner. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying don't have the dinner. The dinner will be amazing. If Mohammed Alabai is listening in, he should also have that dinner with my mom because she's an amazing lady and she cooks very well. <laughs> <laughs> That's your way of groveling for a dinner in Dubai. No way, no way. I think there's, there's a couple, right? So if you go to a... Somebody again, we keep using Dubai Future District Fund as an example, but no, they are the Dubai entity. So their mandate is almost two areas, right? And what will their interest is can they bring amazing specialist funds into you into Dubai to, to invest? But also, would those specialist funds tick another mandate of theirs by bringing portfolios to scale into Dubai and use Dubai as a, as a place to scale from? So that's their. That's their mandate. That's what's in their forefront. So if you if you tick those boxes, have a conversation with Sharif and the team. There's other LPs on the ground as well that are similar within the free zones. Uh, and they have their mandate is to bring entities into Dubai. So again, if you can help them understand, see the benefit of your portfolios and potentially portfolio scaling that way, great. Now, the families, I you know, I would say 70% of their mentality is making a financial return. And I think people need to understand that it's, you know, they want to see a return on their, on their investment. That's all it is. I'd say about 30% of their mentality is, can you bring me technology that will benefit our operations, whether it be in energy, whether it be in retail, whether it be in banking, whether it be in automotive. But I think that's still only a small mindset. You know, I don't think that part of their thinking is there yet. So I would say 70%, show me how you're going to make me the money back and more. And 30%, can you bring, add value to my existing portfolio? Uh, but it, like, you know, I, I think that 30% is going to grow. Um, and we've seen a lot more stuff 
you know, especially from the larger family, larger entities like Major Dove Fontaine uh, and Altaya, looking at kind of innovation that come into pl- plug into there and diversify their portfolio, et cetera. Um, but yeah. 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 And, and, and Omar, to your, to the story that you shared of the, um, of the, let's, let's call it theoretical successful European GP that thinks we see camels in every corner when you go into the region. Do you see any kind of cultural nuances as well that GPs, as an example, GPs joining in this year's trip should be aware of because sometimes, you know, culture, culture is a bitch in the sense that, you know, uh, it is something that we grow with and we're completely unaware of other cultures until we are exposed to them. Look, I think as Europeans, uh, I think we're quite good at, you know, there's always the exception, like our friend from a couple of years ago, but look, I think we're quite good at, you know, cultural sensitivities. We're quite good at kind of being a bit open-minded, understanding. I think what it is for a lot of people when they come to Dubai because you'll probably spend, I don't know, 90% of your time dealing with either a fellow European or an Egyptian or an American. Um, and I think, do you know what I mean? It's that it's so diverse, so multicultural. Um, and 10% of your time will be spent dealing with an Emirati. But that 10% is kind of the decision-making 10%, right? Um, so, you know, when you're dealing with that 10%, just, you know, they don't speak politics, avoid politics at all costs. Don't kind of disrespect or say anything negative towards the UAE. Keep it to business uh, and family and try to get that understanding, but just avoid the politics uh, and anything around that. But, you know, it's they're very kind of European as well. You know, they, you got to also understand that most of the, most of the Emiratis spend their entire summers in Europe. Uh, whether it be in Paris, where actually Vienna's really popular now, obviously UK has always been popular, Berlin. Actually, Munich is one of the most popular destinations for Emirati travelers. So, you know, they, they spend their time in Europe, they understand Europe. Munich, that is unexpected yeah. as a I, destination. <laughs> apparently, I, asked, I asked a friend of mine, Faisal, I said to him, because he said, okay, to Munich, we go there, we have an apartment there. And I said, why? So I don't understand why. <laughs> exactly. right. Apparently, Apparently Munich is really safe. Apparently Munich is really safe, really cool to walk around. I don't that, that was what I got from him, um, <laughs> especially for young well, women. It's, it's good enough of a reason, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you know, if you, when, you're, when you're comparing it to uh, walking around London, you might as well go to Munich. Safety first. Uh, um, so, yeah, I, I think, agree. you know, Munich. I don't know. Well, at least, at least in London or in Munich, they don't drive on the wrong side of the road. So, you won't get hit by something. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to ask you because you said don't talk about politics and there's something that VCs tend to do quite a bit and that's tweeting around or Xing around or whatever that's called now. If you take Dubai money or, or, or GCC money or want to sometime down the road, would you say that you should be mindful also what you would kind of engage in on social media? Uh, just as anyone would, if you took money from Volvo, you probably wouldn't share a news story about Volvo um, being <laughs> crap or whatever. Um, or would you say that you know there is a sensitivity here, and you'd be you'd probably be better off not talking about this? I was actually looking at is it X now, right? It's X. And it's I Xing, saw, yes. Uh, it, we, saw, it can't be tweets. Right? Xing, it must be Xing. No, no, <laughs> it, it's Xing, and and I saw just uh, without. Um, 
divergent, but I saw a number of VCs removing the hop-in handle from their exit profile over the last 24 hours. But it's, you know, yeah, you, you know, you, you um, yeah, look, just don't do politics. Um, and there's nothing, you know, um, it's, there's nothing wrong with exiting or writing whatever it is you want to write. But yeah, just don't do it really. It's, it's quite simple. Like, just don't do it. Keep politics out of it. You know, and it's, it's actually on the same, on the, on the same level, um, the beauty of it in the region, a lot of people don't talk politics, especially in the new year, because actually it's designed in a way for everybody to prosper. Uh, whether it's, you know, you can go somewhere like the UAE and live the life on the palm and have your Instagram backdrops. And, you know, if you want to do, if you're that kind of person, it's there for you, right? It's built, it's there. You can go to, and honestly, you can go to the UAE and work 24 hours a day and build a company from scratch. And actually, if you look at a lot of the wealth in the UAE, uh, especially that's been created over the last 20 years, it's been by immigrants coming to the UAE and building something from zero to multi-billions. So it's designed for you to do that. The, whether it be the policy, the framework, et cetera, if you want to go there and live as a family and comfortable life and you know, just hide away from everything, you can do that. So I think, you know, respect the way the country is designed, respect the way things are done and, and just talk business and that's it. Keep everything else out of it and, and try to limit your threads because they do come back and haunt you at some stage, I guess. I'm curious. So, Omar, let's let's take this to a different uh, uh, topic, which is evaluating GCC limited partners. Um, and and I'm of course asking this because the most important thing, almost in in in, in fundraising, is knowing who not to fundraise from. In the sense that that there's a lot of people with a lot of money, but there's not that many that would have a fit for your fund. Is there anything that you would say can guide European VCs that are preparing the trip to Dubai with, with us for North Star as an example that are saying, okay, so I want to meet LPs there. I know Omar has told me on the podcast that I should probably not expect them coming into the fund that I'm closing in December if I go there in October. So still... If I want to meet them now, start building the relationship for, for, for the next fund or the fund after that, how should I go about this? How should I start filtering the uh, the LPs? How should I start getting in touch with them? Is it just normal rules that apply or are there specific things that you would say this is worthwhile paying attention to? I have a list that you can subscribe to. I'll send you a monthly subscription fee if you want to. Um, uh, nice. The... It's, a thousand, it's a thousand K, right? <laughs> it's yeah look it's just a, it's just a small retainer and a small percentage at the end of it. You know? but interestingly on that point honestly rule number one if anybody says to you uh, i could raise money for you from the gcc here's my fee here's my retainer run a mile and i think that's something to be wary of from the beginning there, there are honestly yeah, i don't know how many of these people around and not a single one of them is successful in what they do. Um, I can probably tell you three, um, and then you can even get them referenced by other European funds that are worthwhile speaking to if you want to go down that route. So rule number one is avoid any fundraisers in the region, honestly. Um, um, rule number two, it's, it's a really small ecosystem, really small country. A few clicks on the internet, you can do background checks on potential LPs. 
a, a few conversations with local funds, which is a really great way to start. And there's some amazing funds out there, whether it be Bico, MEVP, Sharut Partners, Global Ventures. There's a lot of them. And we've got Global Ventures, um, actually, in a few weeks, having Andreas. They will tell you, you know, the who and, and who not in the GCC. Look at the, you know, if you're speaking to the families, you can look at their existing businesses and interests, and that will give you an idea of where they sit and how, and how they sit uh, within the ecosystem, et cetera. But again, it, it, this goes back to time. You know, if you're going into the GCC wanting to fundraise quickly, you're probably going to get it wrong. If you're going in there with time to spend and building the relationships, it could be really successful. There's a lot of events actually where a lot of these family offices, uh, the, uh, the local family offices attend for you to kind of start to get to know them and build that trust and build that relationship. So it's not that hard. The UAE is built around networking, to be honest. So it's very easy to get around, very easy to meet people. I think the only thing I would say is if you, you're meeting people without an agenda, you'll find it as a lot easier to do so with an, than with an agenda to start off with. You said before earlier, I just want to bring that to the forefront now in connection to, to anyone who actually pulls out their pin for this small sec- section of the podcast. Um, <laughs> You also said that there are definitely specific regions that you would want to go to if you have different different vertical focuses. Um, could you just say a bit more about that or, or restate that part? Maybe we should have said actually to people earlier on that it's the UAE is made up of seven states. Yeah, seven states. But actually, the, the states that you would hear about are Dubai and Abu Dhabi, right? You know, those are the, the global states. And, um, you know, and if you're raising money for anything around sustainability, uh, healthcare, you know, kind of cyber, um, I would go to Abu Dhabi. That's where the government entities are working in those kind of spaces. That's where the hospitals are to a certain degree, you know, and the oil and gas and so on. If you're kind of looking at fintech, you're looking at AI, you're looking at edtech, any of that kind of stuff. It's, it's Dubai. Uh, that's where a lot of, I mean, the fintech hub is in Dubai to the IFC, you know, education, et cetera. So it's all there. Omar, maybe to uh, kind of get us in the mood of wrapping up, I think it would be cool if you could share, if you have any success stories. So do you have any insights or real stories that you can share of European VCs, European GPs? having success in both building relationships in the region, GCC region, um, but even raising capital from LPs in the region? Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, there's been quite a few. Obviously, the big funds, you know, I don't know about. Um, but I mean, Speed Invest, I think Daniel spoke openly about it. He's probably, um, Daniel, since 2000, since three years ago, would spend maybe three or four visits a year four or five visits a year to the GCC, uh, whether it be the UAE, Qatar, and Bahrain, and, you know, uh, raised a decent amount of money into their latest fund, which I think was 500 million from the region, um, has made some great relationships there. But again, it's been on the back of spending time in the region. I think Cherry Ventures has raised a decent amount uh, from the region. So there's a few funds like that, European funds that have done really well. Uh, what's interesting as well about somebody like Daniel, it's that they were also damaged, they've also invested in the region, not necessarily in the UAE, but they've got an investment in Egypt, and they've used the UAE as a as a gateway to some of the investments in Africa. 
which again, it kind of ticked the boxes for some of the families they've raised from, but also the sovereigns uh, as well. So it's just trying to find that fit. But, um, but yeah, those, those are two that I've done quite well, I think, from the region so far. Yeah, and we have an episode already uh, recorded. I don't know if it'll be published before or after this uh, episode, but when that comes out, definitely listen to it. It's with Daniel Kuyper-Kinor from, uh, from Speed Invest. I also think he said something which was very interesting, and that was, well, we've just closed the fund, so I'm going to Dubai now um, because I, I'm going to the region just to, you know, to be there at not fundraising. Because because that's really the best time of to, the best time to go there and build relationships, and also just because he, as you said he's built a relationship with the region already, um, so he he he's also just enjoying his time there. Um, but I think that there's an important point there. Is that really smug of him to say I'm going now just to relax? Or <laughs> that, I will not comment on that. No, I do think that I do think that, that I do think that it's true enough. And my wife has been saying, "Fuck, I want to go with you as well," because she she's been there. Uh, I guess what now, four years ago or so. And she's really been wanting to 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 come back to the to to Dubai and see what's happened. But you know, it's I think we've said this before, haven't we? I think I, I think sometimes as, as VCs we forget that you are it's it's sales, and sales is about relationships. And, and, you know, and, and that's, that's what it is. And you, you know, you're always selling, you're always building that relationship. And that's, I think, you know, according to Daniel, he's, he's, he does that. He does that really well. He does that really well. On that note, I think we should call this a wrap and invite everyone to, uh, to, to join us on the trip. Just reach out and we'll, we'll see what we can do to, uh, to, to get your spot in our deal delegation. Omar, thanks so much for taking us on this journey with you. We think that uh, you and everything that we're doing together is incredibly exciting. Everyone listening in, if you enjoyed this episode of the European VC Podcast, do drop us a review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you're listening to this. And do also go to eu.vc and subscribe if you haven't yet done so. I am David, the LP Syndicate Lead, joined by my co-host Andreas, the LP Hype Man. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and we can't wait to see you all out there, hopefully in the GCC region. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values, values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new new beginnings. Let's start acting, 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 acting. How you like them apples?